everybody. Welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jowsma, and this week we have something special for you. I have made it no secret that I'm a huge fan of professional wrestling. Um, to me, professional wrestling is up there with comic books and jazz as a unique American art form that encapsulates both entertainment and the athletic side of things. I've always been a huge fan, and the dirty little secret is I actually know somebody in the professional wrestling industry, and that person is here today to join us. That person is Matt Wadsworth, the president and play-by-play man of Absolute Intense Wrestling. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Tim. That's a heck of an intro. I feel like uh, I have lofty expectations to live up to. Yes, so you better not disappoint. Okay. (laughs) All right, to start off, it is a tradition to ask this question for people when they come on the show here for the first time. So, Matt, what is your nerd origin story? Oh, it's all over the map. So, I'll give you something unique about mine. Um, I love comic book movies, like superhero stories, I should say. So I love comic book movies, love comic book TV shows, the cartoon series growing up, you know, your X-Men cartoon, especially if you're around my age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was never a huge comic book reader. So I've never gone out of my way. I never collected comic books. I was never, I never had a large amount of them that I bought, but I love superhero stories. So I knew a lot about them, mm-hmm. but not the traditional way that most people would consider themselves Like, I technically, I guess I'm not really a comic book nerd more than a superhero nerd. Uh, True. Um, I mean, I mean, superheroes (laughs) are a genre in the medium of comics. So, yeah, I mean, you're definitely, uh, yeah, it's possible to be into that and not be into comics overall. Um, But in the area that we kind of led to with professional wrestling, um, it started, I was about five years old. I had a good friend of mine who was a couple years older that lived uh, a street over from us that I spent a lot of time with. And he was a wrestling fan. He kind of introduced me to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything he was into, I kind of latched onto at that age. But that was it for me. I mean, that was, I got hooked about age five. So we're talking uh, early, maybe just tail end of the beginning of rock and wrestling with WWF. Nice. Uh, with Cindy Lopper and, and Hulk Hogan and that. So it was then mid 80s, uh, right when it was really taking off, kind of into the heyday of Hogan. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, unlike a lot of people my age, there was never a time that I gave it up. I've maintained as a wrestling fan. You know, there was most people around my age, they hit that point. Uh, in the early 90s, you know, <laughs> kind of into uh, tween years, early teen years, and, and kind of, well, that's dumb, that's silly, you know, that's a kid's thing. I never did. I, I kept watching through it. <laughs> I was uh, unique among my friends in that area. 
Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you mean. The early 90s was painful in a lot of ways to watch. Um, I did find myself, uh, you know, like you said, like uh, other fans kind of drawing back for a while. I think the last episode of Raw I remembered watching before I picked it up again in the Attitude Era was the episode where Goldust gave mouth to mouth to Ahmed Johnson. And I thought, well, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't say I was always proud of what was on screen uh yeah and i'd say you can say the same thing to this day thankfully not as much as some of the uh some of the worst of what we came up with <laughs> um but but it did i mean and then as you got towards there hello yep sorry i dropped out there for a second yeah no worries, I worries. I kicked out for a half a second um so a lot of guys around my friend group in that there was the attitude era, but even slightly before the attitude era, ECW was what, what brought them back. Uh, I had discovered it as most people did kind of late night, you know, local stations syndicated. I'm in the Cleveland area, so it wasn't too far gone from Philly mm. and you know, you found it, and it was just completely different. This was not the cartoonish stuff that, that everybody had decided to leave behind. Um, and in fact, John Thorne, the the owner of AIW, of Absolute Touch Wrestling here, that's with, I always say, without ECW, there's no AIW. Because he, he was one of those guys that wanted nothing to do with wrestling, and I would record it because I couldn't stay up late enough. I think it wasn't on until like midnight 1 a.m you know around here at the earliest uh, so i'd record it so i started showing them the tapes and it's like, man this is this is awesome this i can get into <laughs> oh yeah Ex yeah I, I loved uh ecw back in the day i mean what brought me back more than anything was stone cold steve austin but i think that you know it, more than anything that's going to be a lot of people now next question i want to ask you is what was your first live wrestling event that you ever attended and do you remember any of the matches that you saw so i actually because my parents were okay with me watching but they didn't go out of their way to uh, derived that passion. They wanted nothing to do with wrestling. They had no. So, especially growing up in the Cleveland area, a lot of people, their first shows that they remember were the original Survivor Series. So the first couple of years was was in the Cleveland area. It was out in Richfield, Ohio, at the Coliseum. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I didn't. My parents had no desire to take me to those things. Oh man. So the first. Oh, let's see. The first one I remember, because I mean, I went to all the, the Raws in the Attitude Era, but I think before that would have been SummerSlam. I want to say it was 96 with here in Cleveland. Wow. Which was, uh, the Boiler Room Brawl. It was Mankind and, and Undertaker Boiler Room Brawl. It was... Um, uh, what was that? Was that Sean Invader? Was that? Oh, that, I think it might have been. Yeah, around that time. That, wasn't that the one where Sean uh, got upset at him and yelled at him during the match, or was that a different yeah. interview? That's what I'm trying to remember. It, it was that era, and I can't remember if it was that one or 
SummerSlam might have been after that, actually. Because mm. I think he was already kind of on his downswing where they wanted him to lose weight and kind of sent him off. Right. But it was, I mean, that was the big one that sticks in my mind. The Boiler and Brawl is, is kind of what that show is most famous for. Yeah. Um, now with the boiler room brawl, how did that go exactly in the crowd? I mean, we're like that—that that was just at the beginning of when WWE was putting up extra screens, I believe. So, um, were you, were you able to get into it in the crowd or not? Because I remember, I believe on the pay per view, they didn't even have commentary for that, and that went a while. They, um, it did show. So I don't know that they put up extra screens. I believe we had because the the Richfield Coliseum was also where the the Cleveland Cavs played at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had the big scoreboard in the middle and I can't remember I you know now that you mention it though I seem to remember them like rolling TVs out for the ringside crowd mm. even mass screen but they they did have video screens where we were able to see it because we were we were up a little bit gotcha uh, we were kind of up top uh, but so we were we were able to watch the video of it until they they actually entered the arena itself. Nice, nice. Um, any other memories from that show that stick out? I, I honestly, and I wish I knew where it was. I had taken notes throughout because I was as much as people. This has been a big thing on Twitter over the last few months. People are like, "Oh, if only the internet was around when." And they don't realize that, you know, current internet community is not the birth of the internet wrestling community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, even back then, mid nine, mid to late 90s, I was using uh, Usenet groups. The, the big one was RSPW, Rec Sport Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had taken a, a notebook with me and taken notes during the show. I do remember, I believe that was the first time I saw a shooting star press. Mark Mero did one on that show. Oh, man. Uh, because I remember in my notes, I didn't even know what to call it. I referred to it as a reverse moonsault. Well, better I, than nothing, I yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember reading through my notes, and I was, uh, I was someone I would absolutely hate if I read them on the internet. <laughs> I was so insufferable and such a snob about the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> I was what people think is the worst of the internet wrestling community today. <laughs> In my defense, I was a 16-year-old kid at the time who, like I said, had never gone away from wrestling and, and, and was- had really been around you know, the more casual fan that's that's a, a WWF fan and, you know, maybe still believes it's real and, maybe, you know. So cult members before there was a cult? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's go on to the next question here. How did you start with AIW? So AIW, like I mentioned, John, uh, John and I have known each other for years. John Thorne is the at this point, the sole owner of AIW. It was not always that way. Um, but John and I have known each other for years. His uh, his grandmother actually lives next door to me right now. But uh-huh, nice. we, I grew up in a house very close to here. 
So he would spend his summers over here because there weren't a lot of a lot of kids where he lived. So we got to know each other from a very early age. Mm-hmm. We had been involved. We had actually promoted our own shows with zero trained professional wrestlers involved. Uh, I was 19 years old. He's a couple years younger than me. So I believe he was 16, 15, 16. Uh, And it was just, it was a bunch of kids from his school, some kids that we knew around here that we used to do. We did backyard wrestling during the heyday of, of backyard wrestling, but not what everyone thinks of. We didn't do like mini death matches. You know, we did what we saw as, as wrestling. Uh-huh. You know, maybe there was a, a cookie sheet involved, but we weren't lighting people on fire and we weren't, you know, we didn't even really have tables very much. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, we had rented a ring from a guy, JT Lightning, who uh, in the Cleveland area, if you've gotten involved in professional wrestling for a, for a time period there, it was facilitated by JT. Nice. Uh, he was kind of the godfather of clue wrestling. There's a reason we run one of our annual events for the IW is the JT Lightning Invitational Tournament that we had started after it is actually just last month, I believe, Mark, 10 years ago, he passed. He had cancer, he passed. Um, so we do that to kind of keep his legacy of all. But JT was the game in town. He was he ran an independent ran Cleveland All Pro Wrestling. And if you were able to get a hold of him, you could rent his ring. You know, he'd come out as long as you paid him. And as long as you gave him a match on the show, he'd mm-hmm. come out. Nice. Um, so we had gotten a hold of JT. We, we ran a show that was fairly successful. I mean, it was, it was all our friends and family. And that we ran out in the community that John was from. John famously tells the story that he almost got kicked out of school because it was right around the time of the Columbine shootings. Oh, man. And the flyer that he was passing out at school, the tag on it was uh, either extreme or hardcore teenage violence. <laughs> so he got, he got called into the principal's office over it, and, and he thought he was getting expelled from high school. Oh, man. Um. So John and I had run shows. I famously say we only ran two by ourselves. We ran that one was a great success. We ran a second one, which proves that even good promoters sometimes are really dumb. Uh, we chose to run on a Sunday in 2000, or sorry, in, in 99, which just so happened to also be a fairly large event in the Cleveland area. It was the first game back since the Browns had moved and become the Ravens of the uh, new Cleveland Browns. We, we ran a wrestling show head to head with it. <laughs> How did that I go? Were, <laughs> I think there were four people in the building. Maybe the people we were running the building from weren't even watching. They had the TV on and we were watching the Browns game. <laughs> 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 I always say, anytime somebody talks about, man, what was this promoter thinking? I'm like, listen, I, I guarantee I can top him. <laughs> that would Ran do head it. To head in Cleveland with the return of the Cleveland Browns. 
So we had done the untrained stuff. He continued with another group while I was away at college. Uh, I reconnected with them because I knew the guys that did it that were, again, just untrained. So fast forward a couple of years of doing that, we decided we want to go legit, uh, opened a training center, hooked up with a guy I knew because he had gone to high school with my sister that was an independent wrestler that had some success at the time, a guy by the name of Luke Marconi. Mm-hmm. got him to come in and become our trainer he trained all the guys you know on how to be wrestlers and even then i never trained um i said listen if i'm ever going to do anything in wrestling it's going to be as a manager or a commentator i'm never going to be a wrestler i'm just not you know i don't have that kind of work as like, i don't i'm not that kind of shape so i would go and film the sessions for him mm-hmm. um and we actually we rented space at a racquetball facility in Parma, Ohio. And as I would sit up on the upper deck where there was a view of the court, we would literally each week bring the ring in, set it up. I would take my parents' camera upstairs, set it up, film the training session. So there was a guy that was that belonged to this racquetball club that would come he'd see a ring set up and he'd tell me all about his son that was training out in California to be a professional wrestler at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was George Mizanin. It would be the Mrs. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> frequently, frequently chat me up about everything his son was doing to train to become. And by that point, we knew who the Miz was. Uh, he had already been on the real world. He had gone to the same high school as, as some of the guys we knew. You know, he was local to the area. Right. And in fact, we had him booked to do an appearance at one of our untrained shows that he canceled because he was moving to California to go train. Oh, man. But (laughs) yeah, George Mazanin would would talk my ear off all about the things, you know, what kind of things his son was doing in training. That Uh, is funny. We went legit. We ran some independent shows. Um, kind of got bored by just being another indie, tried to do some other stuff. And then there was a big falling out among the handful of us that were kind of quote unquote owners. Um, John and one of the other owners had gotten into it. So he, he was kind of excommunicated. And like I said, he had been friends since we were little kids. So I, I went with him. He hooked up with a guy that was actually in did the local music scene. And he had decided he wanted to start a wrestling promotion. Despite the fact that he wasn't really a wrestling guy, didn't know very much about it. Uh-huh. So he, he connected with a few of us that had kind of left that other promotion. I came on kind of by proxy. So it was, I was there at the meetings where AIW was formed. Nice. Um, what my role was going to be kind of changed a little bit over time, but and from day one, I was I was there as we were deciding what it was going to be. Cool. Now, how did you uh, get the play-by-play job? It sounds like this is something um, you lobbied for, or was it just I, picking a straw? <laughs> it it wasn't at all, actually. So originally, in our our previous promotion we had worked with, I had been 
uh, a heel, a bad guy authority figure. So you think you're Mr. McMahon, you're Eric Bischoff news with the NWO. I've been a, a, a evil authority figure. And originally that was what we had in mind when we were starting AIW. Then they decided they wanted to do, uh, to set something aside. One of the ideas they had was they were going to do live commentary. So the commentary wouldn't just be for the recording at home. It would be over the house system because we were running in concert clubs uh-huh. in that type of facility. So they said, all right, we're going to do the commentary live. So the crowd hears it. And the idea behind it being is John's always explained it. We weren't necessarily drawing a ton of wrestling fans. We were drawing a mixed crowd. We were drawing wrestling fans and we were drawing you know, our buddies who we were all in our early 20s at this point, uh, our buddies who were looking for something to do on a Sunday night, an excuse to go out and drink. Uh And what they knew wrestling to be was Monday Night Raw or Nitro, which at this point had been over for a few years, but they all remember the Attitude Era in the Monday Night Wars. And they're used to, when I watch wrestling, Someone is talking and telling me what's going on. So we decided to make it feel easier for them as an entry point. We'll do that. We will do live commentary edits. I get the idea. I'm glad we don't do it anymore. (laughs) It wasn't easy. But it was just a matter of I ended up in the position because of our group that was kind of founding it. I was the most natural fit for it. Uh And that's the other thing is that's why I tell I've, I've had frequently over the years, people say, you know, a a fan will pull me aside at show. Hey man, uh, I love your work. I really want to get into doing like commentary. Maybe same type of situation. I don't see myself as a wrestler. I think I do good at commentary. Um, What advice do you have? And I'm the worst person to ask because I just kind of happened into the position by default. Um, so I, I'm like, I listen, show up at shows, get to know, you know, the promoter gets to know the product, work your way to that point, be there to help. Same advice you would give to a wrestler trying to get into a promotion. Uh-huh. Show up, you help wherever you can, you know, you show up, you, you know, there's guys that are, are big names on the indies right now that work for us. Uh, a guy like Mance Warner is a guy that's got a huge following in independent wrestling. When he started with us, he would just show up and set up the ring. And he'd show up and, uh, or a guy like AJ Gray is another guy that's got a whole bunch of, of following in the independent scene. He'd show up and run our beer table for us. He'd just ride with somebody that was from the area. Nice. You know, it's that type of thing. I always tell people, be available, do whatever they need. And if the need comes up, offer your services, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, if you listen to any of the old timers, like podcast or like shoot videos, like Jim Ross, even Vince McMahon, you know, lucked into the announcer's job just because they were at the right place at the right time. It wasn't a school that they went to, to get a degree in announcing. And then they put in a resume or something like that. Just as you said, 
right place, right time. Now, as a as a play-by-play announcer, I'm sure you probably had some people you looked up to. Um, what would be your Mount Rushmore of play-by-play guys that really influenced uh, your job? Uh, play-by-play specific, uh, obviously, if you're around our age, Jim Ross is is number one there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voice of Raw and the Attitude Era, and even before that, his work in, in WCW and the NWA. Uh, you know, JR was he was a guy that that got it he's a guy that had been around wrestling for years he's a guy that he he could call the match but he was able to draw you in which as an announcer is your number one job my number one job as an announcer is not to make you think about me or pay attention to my work my job is to verbalize what the wrestlers are telling with their body what they're telling physically is, hey, maybe you're not quite understanding the story they're going for. I'm going to explain it to you. Yeah. And and JR was a guy that was great at that. And he was a guy that um, the emotion, you know, I had uh, Ethan Page is a guy that's with AEW now. And he had spent years with us in AIW. And I remember him saying about a match I had commentated with somebody else. He was watching it and he would, he would go back and watch him and he said, hey, Whoever, you know, the guys that did this match, I love the emotion. I'm excited because you're excited. And if you think of some of the epic moments with JR, don't get me wrong. Was I going to be excited, you know, seeing The Undertaker throw Mick Foley off the hell of a cell? Yeah. Yeah. But does his call of it make it absolutely epic? Yes. You know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He adds to the emotion and he adds to the moment. He doesn't do anything to pull away from it or pull focus from it. So JR is, is absolutely a one. Uh, I talked about being an ECW fan. Joey Styles uh, <laughs> is insanely talented and was insanely talented. Uh, I, I always say I go, but I went back when the, when the WWE network had started and when I got a subscription to it, I went back and watched some old ECW TV episodes. Just, you know, I'd look and say, Oh, you know, Scorpio versus D Malenko's on the show. I got to go watch it. Like, that's got to be an amazing match. And as I was listening, and especially those days when, when Styles was calling shows solo, which anyone who knows anything about a commentary will tell you, he would call entire shows by himself with no color man to play off of, no, no chance to rest his voice even during a match. Yeah. Uh, and that's, it's incredibly difficult. I've done it. It's not easy. You know, it, it's a whole lot easier to be able to bounce off of someone and play off of someone. He would call entire shows by himself and be just as energetic. And what I discovered when I went back and watched those old is subconsciously, I completely aped his style. Hmm. Um, I My cadence was very similar to his. My intonation was very similar to his. And it's never something I set out to do. It's not like I was like, I'm going to study Joey's style because I know he's a really good commentator. Mm -hmm. That was just when I sat down behind a mic, that's what came out. And I, you know, I remember laughing about that. Uh, But yeah, JR, Joey Styles are are kind of my two top for sure. Um, And then obviously anybody who talks about play-by-play guys, and if you talk to JR and ask him a similar question, he's going to tell you uh, Lance Russell is the guy that, you know, that, was his 
kind of target his guy that he saw as, as this guy was really good and Gordon Soley being the other one. Uh, so if we're going play-by-play specific, I, I have to say those four are the guys. You know, J.R., Joey Styles, uh, Lance Russell, Gordon Soley. They were just, they were very, they were able to be very dignified about it, which is a weird thing to say about anything to do with professional wrestling, I know. Uh, but at the same time, they brought the emotion when it needed to be. It wasn't a constant over the top. But when when the moment called for it, they added so much to that moment. Oh, and, yeah. And their knowledge was was insane. You know, the things that they would talk about, even the first time a guy walked in the door, they still were prepared and knew so much about them, so much about their style, where they're from, what they do. And it was just that that example of being a constant professional in those situations. I, I mean, great choice for them at Rushmore and with JR. I mean, like the biggest example I, I could I, I could say to kind of showcase what, what you said of what he did would be his work on WrestleMania 14. I mean, he, you know, him and him and uh, Jerry Lawler were probably the third guys in that match because you had Shawn Michaels with a broken back, St- Steve Austin with a broken neck, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, with Jim Ross on the card, I mean, that just at the end when Austin hits that stunner, um, even today, after seeing that match hundreds and hundreds of times, you know, my, I'm ready to just jump up and start cheering because Jim Ross is is uh, getting down there, too. Uh, definitely good. Now, um, on the, to top that off, who would you who would you say are some of your favorite uh, color commentators? Uh, without a doubt, Bobby Heenan is the best that's ever done it. I mean, there's no. There's no way around it. He is insanely, insanely talented. He was funny. He, just everything about his personality. And it's it's a guy that, you know, I said so much, your, your job's not to get yourself over. It's to get the other guy over. And people are like, well, you know, he was always telling jokes or he was, he was making – but when he was doing it, because he was so hated and because anyone that he hated must have been great, you know, he was getting the other guys over at the same time. So yeah, he Heenan is is a one at color commentary. Uh and obviously he and Gorilla, the interplay I talked about with Joey Styles, how how much easier it is when you have that interplay. He and Gorilla are just they were so good together. They oh, were yeah. so perfect. They they played off each other perfectly. Um and the funny thing is, I always list Bobby Heenan as one of my favorite commentators all the time. Uh, I worked with a guy at one point in AIW, uh, Aaron Bauer, who was a huge Bobby Heenan fan and, you know, tried, tried to do color commentary in that style and not in the way a lot of guys that you hear on the independents do, but he was really good at doing the Bobby Heenan style of commentary. Yeah. Because I had always been so straight Placed in my commentary, I actually struggled. I, I was not Gorilla Monsoon to his Bobby Heenan, you know. <laughs> um, and it was it was difficult. Like it made me realize how hard it was and how good Gorilla was at, at playing off of that and still keeping the seriousness in the match. Okay. So he is head and shoulders above anyone that's ever done it, uh, without a doubt. Um I, some odd choices, and I think it might have just been the era and how much I enjoyed them, because maybe from a technical standpoint, they weren't great. 
I loved uh, when Piper did it, when he moved the color commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, you talk about adding to a moment and the big one that sticks out in my mind is uh, when Randy Savage proposes to Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> and I'm... Piper's commentary, just the way he's yelling at Savage, come on, you know, it's so perfect. And it adds to that moment so much. Um, so he's not one that a lot of people list, but I loved his color commentary. Um, Jesse Ventura, obviously, is was massively talented. You know, just had a ton of personality, still has a ton of personality. Yeah. And it showed. I mean, it came through on commentary. I think as much as, as we all immediately think of Gorilla and Heenan, I think Jesse was an incredible foil to McMahon when, when McMahon was doing commentary. Uh, especially, um, yeah, especially when Jesse would name drop his agent on Saturday night's main event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When it, before it was, you know, there was no Mr. McMahon. You didn't talk about Vince McMahon being the boss. And he would, he would toe that line just enough. Um, and then, uh, and then honestly, I always, although he didn't do a ton of it, the era that he did it to, to fill Lawler's shoes. And I admit, I'll probably, you know, have a lot of people angry that I didn't name Jerry Lawler, uh, but Paul Heyman, I mean, in that window when he filled in, when Lawler was gone. I, I love Paul Heyman on commentary. I, I, there's very little that Paul Heyman does with near a microphone that I don't love. Yeah. I, yeah. He's, and if you want to see some good stuff, I think it may be on the network. Um, Paul Heyman actually did work uh, as color commentary with Jim Ross and WCW for a while. Um, it was early. Like, early. Yeah. It was yeah. just before the Dangerous Alliance hit. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they didn't work together too long, but I would agree um, that's probably was JR's best partner because um, JR himself admitted that Paul Heyman would push his buttons constantly in a way that Jerry mm-hmm. Lawler didn't. And um, I think, you know, WrestleMania 17, I don't know if it would be as memorable in terms of the play-by-play in color if Jerry Lawler was involved. Yeah, and it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, obviously we all think of the attitude here and we think it, it, Lawler's commentary doesn't hold up for me. I mean, it just doesn't. Uh, yeah. And it, it's it's very over the top. I mean, just as much as, as Ross was there for some epic moments, obviously Jerry Lawler was. Yeah. Uh, but it's if you're asking Mount Rushmore, I'm going to go with Heyman over Long. Gotcha. I would say that's a good choice. So move on to the next question here. When you started with AIW, that's going to put you within a couple of years of the WWE um, starting their run as the sole major U.S. Um, uh, wrestling company in, in, in the United States. What was the state of the wrestling industry when you joined AIW at that point? I mean, was it not going good? What was it like with WWE essentially controlling the American market? So you're looking at 2005. Um, I believe it's the early years of Ring of Honor, and I'm sure somebody on the internet will correct me on exactly when that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a historian for AIW, not so much for other promotions a lot of times. 
but it's I, I believe Ring of Honor existed because I know some of our early shows we we brought guys in that gained a name for Ring of Honor. But as a whole, um, independent wrestling was not what it is today. Uh, independent wrestling today, you've got large independent promotions that even tour themselves. We personally do not. We've done a, a handful of shows outside of Cleveland. We've always just, you know, Cleveland's our home. Uh, Ring of Honor was was one of the only ones doing that. And really, I, that's people didn't know about their small local indies very much. There was not that crowd um, that there was even five years earlier, you know, at the, the tail end of the Monday Night Wars, uh-huh. where all you had to do, you didn't have to advertise. You know, we tell people, it, 98 99 2000 even to an extent you didn't necessarily have to advertise who was on your show you just said hey there's going to be a wrestling ring here <laughs> and <laughs> and wrestling on tv was so hot that people were showing up uh that wasn't the case in 2005 like i said our crowd was very mixed you had uh the same group of wrestling fans you would see at any other independent show in the city and we sought to differentiate ourselves from the other independent companies in the city by using younger guys, by using different guys. And like I said, we brought in our friends. You know, some of the guys on the card were selling tickets to their friends. We had a, a young crowd that was there to party as much as they were to watch wrestling. Wrestling was just kind of the facilitator for it and, and let them yell stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But but independent wrestling was not great. Um, John and I did commentary every once in a while. Uh, he's AWS a Patreon. Every once in a while, we'll go back and, and pull up an old show and we'll record an alternate commentary of some of the old shows. And we did one that would have been a couple of years in. It was one of the Hell on Earth shows that we do that now has become a tradition. We always run it the day after Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, this was the first year we ran it the day. So we had, we would run the day after Thanksgiving. And I remember watching the show back and I'm like, John, are there even 150 people in that crowd right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got to be maybe 110. Um, and just absolutely dumbfounded me that we were that excited that we were like, this is something we have to do every year. But at the time, um, that was it. Like, that's what, <laughs> that's what there was for a crowd. That was a decent crowd for an independent show at the time. Right. Now, what would you say for folks not familiar with AIW, what would you say like, like four or five of like some big moments that you think epitomize like four or five moments that if you had a chance to sit down with someone that's never watched AIW before, what are you going to show them to give them a taste of what AIW has had to offer throughout the years? Um, it, it would be interesting to pick because we've had a lot of, a lot of guys that you see on TV now have come through and have spent a, a good amount of time. You know, not, yes, we had, you know, AJ Styles for one show, but we had Seth Rollins for a year straight. He was a regular when nobody was really using him. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it was essentially Johnny Gargano's home promotion for most of his years on the independence. You know, there's a lot of guys that have come through the, the biggest one to point to in terms of, especially someone that knows wrestling, but doesn't necessarily know AIW uh, absolution 10, which absolution is, is kind of our WrestleMania. It's our big show of the, of our calendar every year. It's kind of what, what the show, what it builds to. And then you spend the back half of the year starting the build to the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolution 10, we had our main event that, that John refers to as the $10,000 match because that's when he stopped counting how much it cost him. But at the time, you had what we call Team AIW. Uh, it was that five-on-five Cleveland Street Fight, 10-man ten ten Cleveland Street Fight. You had Team AIW which had Johnny Gargano on it, who had started to work in NXT at the time, wasn't exclusively under contract yet. Um, So you had Gargano on that team and they were facing, and actually, so he had a couple other, he had basically his mentor, a guy by the name of Josh Prohibition, uh, which if you, if you followed backyard wrestling at all, or if you followed kind of independent wrestling in the, late 90s, early 2000s, especially the East Coast area, you chances are you knew who he was. But he had been Johnny's mentor. We had another guy who had come out of our school at the time that was kind of Johnny's top student. And then teaming with them was the Young Bucks. Oh, man. Um, so the Young Bucks were already a big name at the time. They, obviously, this is years, this was five years, or probably about three or four years before AEW is a thing. But the Bucks were already a big name. They were already huge in New Japan. Uh, they faced off against a team we called Dudes on TV. And the reason they were called Dudes on TV is everyone on that team was wrestling on television for a promotion at the time. Okay. So they had, uh, they had EC3, Ethan Carter III, who was, a, was an AIW guy from day one. He and it was right after he had won the TNA world title. So he was on TV with TNA. Um, you had DJ Z, who is now Joaquin Wild in NXT. At the time was DJ Z in TNA as well. Uh, you had Ray Bro, who is currently Eric of the Viking Raiders in WWE. Nice. And at the time was, was with Ring of Honor. He's another guy that uh, he was involved in the very beginnings of AIW. Uh, he was part of a big falling out, and he had come back to AIW after seven years away. And this was, it kind of built into this. Uh, you had Matt Cross, M-Dog 20, who, along with Josh, had come out of the backyards. And Matt, at the time, was wrestling for Lucha Underground, who had a TV show. He was mm-hmm. son of Havoc under a mask there. Uh, and then they rounded out their team with Samoa Joe. Oh, nice. Had just started with NXT. And when Joe started with NXT, he was not exclusive. You were still able to book him on the independency. So we booked Joe. So that was a 10 man tag with all of those names in it. Wow. And it was, it lived up every bit. I mean, it's a fun match. 
It's a good match. It's a fun match. But it was just the, the pure level of Star Talent. So at the time, nowhere else in the world could you see guys that were from what at the time was the three, arguably four, once you had at least under the top promotions in the United States, as well as the second largest promotion in the world in New Japan, once you had at the Young Bucks, mm-hmm. um, in the same ring, in the same match. Like, not even just on the same show. They were all in the same match. So that's that's a big one. Like that's one that if you're a wrestling fan who hasn't followed AIW, like you see all of that, you're just like, oh, my God. Um, the opposite end of the spectrum for that in terms of name power is, so we went out when WrestleMania was in New York a couple of years ago. Uh, so it would have been 2019. We ran a show late night, the Thursday before WrestleMania in Jersey City, New Jersey. It's not far outside of New York. And we had a lot of names on it. We had a lot of high-profile matches on it. Um, we had stuff out there. Like we had uh, Swaggle, Horn Swaggle, WWE, <laughs> uh, against Scott Steiner was one of the matches <laughs> we had on the card. Um, we had Nick Gage, who recently made national headlines. Uh, <laughs> his appearance in AEW, we had him against Mance Warner, which was a big match at the time. Mance was just starting to really take off. Uh, so we had a lot of stuff like that. Well, squashed in the middle of it, we had uh, Dominic Green, who's our head trainer at our school. Once he was, he was trained by Johnny Gargano, Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae. Once Johnny and Candice left for WWE, uh, Dom was was who took over as the head trainer. Dom has a, a background in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, he had been in there with incredible talents. He he worked as a like high school wrestling coach at times. He had volunteered. So he knew how to run, run it. And, and he was a huge wrestling fan on top of that. Uh, so he's a phenomenal trainer. So we had him and one of the guys that had been one of his students, we had run a storyline where he was upset with a guy that if you follow AIW today is literally our top guy, a guy by the name of Josh Bishop. Uh, and, and people that watch him now, they say, oh my God, it's, it's a WCW era, like early WCW era, Sid Vicious. Ooh, nice. Like that, he's, he's not quite as large, not quite as tall as that, I should say. He's, he's jacked these days, Josh is, but um, just all kinds of intensity. But this was kind of the beginning of bringing that out of him. So we had a storyline building to the show of Dom uh, was angry at him that he wasn't taking it seriously. He wasn't taking training seriously, skipping training. He wasn't taking his career seriously. And, you know, and Dom knew what he was capable of. So he did, they did an I quit match on, on uh, Slumber Party Massacres in the show. Nice. In Jersey City. And like I said, a lot of, nobody was really talking about the match coming in. Uh, when the weekend was over, it was one of the most talked about matches. Uh, and not just of our show. We ran in a building where there were shows going almost 24 hours as part of a, a big group promotion going on. Uh, and Josh and Dom went out there and 
just tore the house down, had people talking about it all weekends uh, in this I quit match they had. So that, I mean, that would be up there. Um, there was, I was actually just talking to uh, Jay Clemens, our, our head ref, the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago at a show we ran, and we were talking about um, DJZ when he was still, I think he was still Shima Zion, or he was just transitioning to DJZ, and uh, Ricochet. Ooh, nice. Had, had a match at Absolution 5. Uh, that the DGZ credit as being what got him signed by TNA back in the day. And it's so funny because it's one of those things where like, man, you know, looking back, but that's up there. Um, we had a, a brief window there. Again, it was actually kind of led by DJZ. We had a Lucha influx in AIW where we had a, a lot of Lucha style guys come in and there were some really, really good matches around that. Um, and it led to, there was a four-way tag match. And it was um, Crazy Pain is the name of the team that was the, the tag team champions. So Steve Payne and uh, Gringo Loco wrestled um, a guy by the name of Flip Kendrick and Facade, Purple High Flyers, as well as the team to infinity and beyond, which is Colin Delaney, uh, which Colin, if you followed WWE for years, he had a, a run in ECW as kind of this lovable loser. And a lot of people think, oh, that guy, Colin is one of the most talented guys you, you'll ever meet. And his knowledge of wrestling is insane. So Colin and his partner Cheech, who is equally as talented and knowledgeable, um, and then, uh, man, all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank on the fourth year, but it was a, it was a four-way tag mat, uh, around those guys and they, they just blew the roof off the building. It was insane. The stuff they were doing, I mean, just unheard of. Um, I, you know what, actually I do remember now. So it was Laredo Kid and Matt Cross. Okay. Gotcha. Um. And those eight guys went out there and just did stuff that shouldn't be humanly possible, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're, we're incredibly talented. And honestly, that stuff's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, one thing we pride ourselves in AIW, and when people, we talked about ECW, and everybody always makes it out like ECW was just nothing but nonstop violence and, and crazy you know, bloodbaths and ECW was the first place I saw Chris Jericho. It was uh, first place I saw Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio, Psychosis. Like ECW was a lot more well balanced than people give it credit for. Oh, Lance and, Lance Storm, Rob Lance Van Dam, yeah. just incredible. I mean, they had a lot of great people on that roster. Um, you got away with stuff that you wouldn't get away with, you know, even during the Attitude Era in WWE. Uh, it was more adult-oriented product, and, you know, you saw more stuff in matches, but it wasn't just this constant bloodbath. Like, there was incredible matches to Jiri and, and Super Crazy and Guido and the matches they would put on. Um, 
So I remember Mick Foley talking about one time about wrestling shows and wrestling and how it's, you want it to be a three ring circuit, you know, and the idea of, Hey, if you don't like the trapeze artist, stick around because the clowns are coming up next. And if that's not your thing, we're going to shoot a guy out of a cannon, you know? And that's something that I feel that AIW does phenomenally. It's something we always tried to do. Like on a show where we had a crazy lucha match, we had a guy named Dick Justice who is this big guy that does a, a law enforcement gimmick, uh, have a wedding to Missy Hyatt <laughs> that was interrupted by Colonel Rob Park. <laughs> on the same show. That is awesome. Maybe, maybe you didn't like it, but you love those guys that were flying all over the place. You know, there's something for everyone. That's my big thing with AIW. Is we will there's always going to be something to see. Nice. All right, let's move on to the next question here. Um, when Cody Rhodes asked for his release from the WWE in 2016, I don't think anyone could have anticipated the path he took, which led him to AEW. What was the word in the locker room at the time he made that decision? Did people think it was a big deal or were people just thinking, cool, another opponent for me to wrestle? Yeah, so... We we directly never brought him in the AIW. I, I knew some other. He made a lot of uh, appearances for Ethan Page up in, in Canada with Alpha One as his promotion. And we were very close with Alpha One because we had been using Ethan for a number of years at that point. Um, I, it was kind of mixed. Like, you knew he was talented. He, he had talent. So it wasn't necessarily people questioning, well, is he going to be able to to really go, you know, when he's turned loose on the Indies. Um, but it was it was interesting to see because he was a guy that carried he carried name value because not only had he been on TV for a number of years and really only been on TV, this was a guy who who it wasn't like somebody who had this extensive independent run, got signed, and then was returning to the Indies. Like Cody Rhodes because of who he was, was essentially a WWE product. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had never had an extensive run on independent wrestling. So I think it was, it was people were interested to see, and he carried that name value. So you, you had unique matchups that you never had before. And then the chance for it. So there were a lot of guys because they knew, you know, again, I talked about, you have fans out there who, even to this day, as big as independent wrestling is, don't know anything about independent wrestling. But if they see Cody Rhodes, who they just watched for the last couple of years on TV, is going to be five minutes from their house, well, that might be worth going to check out. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go see that. And now that guy who's on the flyer on the other side of Cody Rhodes you know, well, who's this guy that he's wrestling? And they start to look into that guy and that guy gets more exposure. So, I mean, absolutely. I don't, I don't think you were going to find anyone that at the time said, no, I don't really want to do anything. Like it was, you were getting more exposure if you wrestled with him. Uh, and to, to Cody's credit, he did a lot of indie shows and he, 
he went around and wrestled a lot of different guys and, and put everything into it. You know, it wasn't show up, collect your envelope. Hey, look at all these extra people I brought to the building. Cause I was on TV. Like he went out and he worked. And, he didn't and do a Ryback. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't even get him to show up at the building. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even book him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> would you want to though? <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. There's some people out there who would show up just to see it. Now at this point, maybe not, but when he was freshly out, there were a lot of people that wanted to see him on the end. Yeah. All right. Next question. What are your thoughts on intergender wrestling, which has, which I know has been happening in Mexico for a lot longer than America for America. It's been, I would say 2015, 2016 is when I first became aware of it as a big thing. What are your thoughts on it? How does AIW handle that? If they do. I, we have no problem. with it. We have absolutely for, for the first few years, we didn't have women at all in AIW. Um, and, and when one popped up, there was a, a woman by the name of Haley Hatred that was based out of Cincinnati, uh, that caught our eye enough for us to go, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe she is, she is talented enough. And women's wrestling hadn't really blown up on the independent scene side. Um, and Haley was kind of the door. So when Haley started, there were no women for her to wrestle. I mean, her first feud was with John Thorne when he was wrestling with the owner of AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had brutal matches. They did a uh, they did a barbed wire match that you can find on the AIW YouTube. And interesting of note about that barbed wire match is who did commentary with me. It was the first, to my knowledge, the first ever uh, commentary work by Corey Graves. Whoa! It was on an intergender barbed wire match. Um, <laughs> And it, at the time, he was Sterling James Keenan. He was a, a wrestler still, obviously. He wrestled right up until he got signed with WWE, until he had uh, concussion issues. But so, so Sterling came out to do commentary, and it was strictly because he wanted to have a better view of the match to see what they were going to do. Um, so he did commentary on that one. So, I mean, we as long as we've had women in Adam, we've had intergender matches. We've never had a problem. Um, we've had a lot of women come through. We used to, for a couple of years there, when we had a, a burgeoning women's division, because we did, uh, eventually because Haley had done so much, we said, well, we've got to start a, a women's division. We started what we always called the girls night out shows that were all women's shows and, and we'd bring in women. So we did eventually get a women's division, but uh, there's been plenty of women who came through. I mean, like I said, Candice LeRae was, was one of our trainers for a long time. Candice made her name more in intergender wrestling than she did wrestling other women. Um, and in fact, there was a moment at Absolution 10 that I talked about earlier. Uh, there was a moment she was in a scramble match. She was in a, I can't remember if it was four or six person scramble match. And Cedric Alexander was in that match. And Cedric gave her his, the lumbar check, his, his backbreaker that he does. Mm-hmm. Candace probably bounced about three feet in the air off of it. Oh, man. And then across the ring after she got in the air. Uh, so that moment had gone by. Yeah, so we've never had an issue with intergender wrestling. Um, and 
I, I get it that it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but we even, for years there, we had in the JT Lightning Invitational, it was a 24-person tournament. We would have a woman in each section of the bracket for a couple of years there. Uh, and that was, you know, uh, Ember Moon was in it one year and, and did a, a run of a couple rounds. And it's my whole thing with it is like the, you have the people who knock it. Well, it's not realistic. Have you watched professional wrestling? <laughs> Nothing we do is realistic. Like you can't, you can't watch a show where a guy grabs a guy by the arm and whips him across the ring and the guy keeps running for 10 feet <laughs> and then bounces back at him. It's not realistic. Professional wrestling is not realistic. You know, very little of what goes on in that ring is based in realism. So that goes out the window to me. Um, and you had, you know, the people, well, it promotes uh, domestic abuse. Well, does that mean that a guy wrestling a guy promotes assault? Because if you can't watch a guy wrestling a girl without thinking of domestic abuse, how could you watch a guy wrestling a guy or a girl wrestling a girl and not, you know... <laughs> Well, they are is just as illegal as domestic abuse. <laughs> yeah, and they're not taking into account one thing here. I mean, if we were talking about like on Monday Night Raw, you had like Randy Orton backstage walking up and then just randomly out of nowhere punching Alexa Bliss in the face. Yeah. I got a problem with that. But if we have a situation where Alexa Bliss signs a contract to get in the ring with Randy Orton, that's a story you can work with and give you a David and Goliath type of story. And that is, so, and that is another aspect of, on the independent scene, um, a lot of times the size difference is not as large as you would see on WWE or on, you know, because um, you don't see a lot of those guys that are 6'5", 6'6", 270 pound, you know, they're rare on the independent scene because most of them have already been signed by that point, you know or are doing a different sport a lot of times. It's rare that they're going to turn to independent wrestling. They exist, don't get me wrong, but it's not that frequent. Right. Um, but yeah, I've never had an issue with it. I don't feel it's any more unrealistic than anything you watch in professional wrestling. Cool. Um, one other question I wanted to ask about that. Now, um, I know with the speaking out movement uh, from last year, and which had nothing to do with AIW, of course, but you know, you did have some um, women wrestlers state that they felt for in some intergender matches they participated in, they felt compelled to do that. And again, nobody said that about AIW. What does AIW do to make sure that everybody is comfortable in a match like that? Is, uh, there's proper communication, correct? Yeah. And they, honestly, we don't, we haven't had a, we're just starting to kind of homegrown rebuild our women's roster. Uh, we don't have a lot of women on our show. Uh, people always ask us, well, when's the, the women's title going to get defended again? Uh, a, you go tell Shayna Baszler she's got to give it back because she was the last one that held it before she got signed. <laughs> um, but B, the women's scene isn't as strong as it was. Between WWE and AEW, they scooped up all of the experienced 
women that were out there. Uh, so we have a few on our shows and we do have some that wrestle and they still wrestle intergender. You know, they have, they'll wrestle each other, but they've also had intergender matches. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I've never known of a situation where someone wasn't comfortable doing it at, like, in AIW. Uh, I'm sure it existed out there. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even more frequently, I think what you heard was they weren't comfortable with the content of the match sometimes uh, or what was being done in the match or they felt for it. And that's, I get it. You know, there weren't a lot of spots for women. Um, so I understand completely, you know, where that came from is that you were worried if you said no, you were just going to be replaced in the next show by a, a different woman. Uh, and unfortunately, there's a lot of promotions that work that way. Mm. You know, like I said, we for a long time had a very strong women's division. Most of the women that wrestled in our division, you can see on television between WWE and AEW these days. <laughs> um, so we had a lot of really talented wrestlers. And I think because we did the women's shows, we did the intergender stuff. I mean, they were treated as a wrestler. You were treated as you came in, and if you could perform, you performed. Nice. All right, next question here. September 1st, 2018, all in occurred. As someone who worked for an independent, independent promotion, how important was this event for wrestling as a whole, and how did it affect AIW? Um, it's funny enough, the biggest way it affected AIW uh, was we had to move our uh, JT Lightning Invitational Tournament. The tradition for years had been uh, Memorial Day weekend. We, because a number of guys that were working either on screen or in office positions, once AEW formed off, you know, once they saw that that all in could be a success and the wheels started turning for AEW. Uh, we were told in whispered tones, hey, I wouldn't plan on running Memorial Day weekend. Um, so that was one of the biggest things. And obviously, you know, as they started to sign talent, but it it did show that it was possible to to put on a big show. Now, they're, you know. Okay, you cut off again there? Yep. <laughs> okay, it happens. <laughs> okay. So, um, All In had a lot behind it that, that your average independent promotion, what, whether it be name value, whether it be money, uh, it was still absolutely an independent thing. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, it was showing that someone outside of WWE could accomplish this. Um, but I don't think it gave many people in the independent scene the idea that, uh, hey, I could do this. You know, we weren't looking to, to book what at the time was Quicken Loans Arena, but Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse the next week. We weren't calling about it. it. There was a lot of star power, a lot of established names on it. Uh, but it was great to see another promotion doing it. And that's the biggest thing. And that's the biggest thing about the existence of AEW today. It is great seeing another option. Wrestling is always at its best when there's another option. And on a personal level, 
Uh, a lot of people I've gotten to know over the years are working at one or the other now. <laughs> but it, it was, it was exciting to see. I mean, it was, it was interesting. It was exciting to see. Uh, we were on good terms with a lot of the people involved with it. So, nice. you know, we kind of we got a heads up on so as to not get run over by the, the train once it started rolling, basically. <laughs> Well, I, that leads me to my next question here. With uh, AEW on the scene, how has AEW's willingness to work with other promotions, um, opening the forbidden door, if you will, affected you guys? Um, the biggest thing with us, because there's some guys they do it with us, some guys don't. Like we, uh, MJF was a regular with us before AEW starts, uh, and and he was he was kind of off limits because it did take them a little bit to reach that point where they opened the forbidden door and then they weren't happy with, you know, where some of the guys were. So they, they kind of closed it again, but we benefited huge because uh, Eddie Kingston, who, I mean, no one who has known Eddie or followed him over his career is surprised to see him as popular as he is. Uh, you know, we've known Eddie for years. He's been in and out of AEW over the years. He was a regular for years, you know, prior to signing. So and a lot of us kind of spearheaded the sign Eddie Kingston once we found out he was doing the the AEW uh, dark match. But he, uh, or actually, I'm sorry, I believe he was on, on TV because it was him and Cody. Um, but he was allowed our first show back officially. So during the, during the pandemic, during the quarantine of last year where nobody was running, uh, we were able to run sporadically and outside of Ohio. We ran two shows. Then we said, we're going to wait until we can start running them in Ohio again. So earlier this year, when, when we got the go-ahead here in Ohio to run with restrictions in place and, and with preventative measures in place, we ran a doubleheader. We ran a Friday, Saturday. So Friday, we had Eddie there as a surprise. Um, so once we were able to start running shows again in Ohio with restrictions in place, with preventative measures in place, uh, we decided we're running a double hat running Friday, or, uh, Friday, Saturday. Actually, I think we ran Thursday, Friday, it's either it was Thursday, Friday. Um, and we were able to get Eddie as a surprise and unadvertised so we intentionally didn't advertise the card at all we didn't advertise any we barely advertised you know beyond our our regular guys and our local guys who was going to be there and when eddie came out that place we had limited it to i think maybe 150 tickets that place went nuts you would have thought there were 500 people in the building i mean um so we benefited greatly from that and we do we have we have a lot of people there that we're still very close with uh brick baker who was massively successful there and rightfully so uh brit obviously her, her original training was done in pittsburgh at iwc uh what it, the best comparison i can give was a almost like a finishing school she came to aiw for for more training when johnny and candace were there so brit was a a regular in aiw for for quite some time before she signed with aew nice um 
so it's great. I mean, we, we still have a really good relationship with a lot of people there. Uh, Eddie's been the only one that we've come back, but there's been conversations with other people and it's, it's completely possible. You will see more of them in the future in AIW. And it's, I, it's great to have a promotion that has that kind of stage that is willing to let their performers and willing to trust them that they're not going to go do something stupid. That's going to, you know, sully the promotion's name or sully. And it works both ways. I mean, I never thought I would see Nick Gage on any television, let alone primetime cable television. With a pizza cutter. (laughs) With a pizza cutter. Well, and and hitting Chris Jericho with light tubes. Like, it's not even just that he was on TV. He's in there with Chris Jericho, and they're doing light tubes. And they're, you know, so I love what, what they've done over there, both directions. You know, a number of our guys have worked... Uh, AEW dark stuff. Uh, Lee Moriarty is a guy that's got a lot of buzz from this past week. He worked dark and had a fantastic match, which surprises no one who's ever seen Lee Moriarty. He's incredibly talented. Uh, and I have a feeling he's going to be one of those guys that'll be getting signed there sooner rather than later. Um, but I love that they, that they do that. They bring the independent guys in maybe not on TV, but on dark that gets still a ton of views on YouTube. Uh, and they, they give them a chance to shine and they give them a chance to show some of what they can do. And if they like them, they sign them, you know? <laughs> so I, I do, I, I genuinely enjoy what they've done in the relationship with independent wrestling as a whole. Nice. Now, what I think we'll do is go to name association. Um, I got a list of names here. Not not all of them, but a list of names from the AIW website from your alumni page. So when I say, yeah, so when I say the name, give us your thoughts. And if you have a story to share, we'd love to hear it. So name number one, one of my favorite wrestlers today, someone who just... Uh, he's going to go on to main, he's going to either main event or WrestleMania or an AEW show at some point and be the world champion on a big, big stage. Adam Cole. Uh, Adam Cole uh, is fantastic guy. I mean, if you've ever seen him on like up, up, down, down stuff, uh, it's no surprise. Like that's who he is. There's no act there. That is 100% Adam Cole's personality. Uh, He was already very popular when we brought him in, had quite a following. He did a couple different stints. He had been one of the early J-Lits, and, and we had brought him in after that as well for another one. Um, my favorite story about him, his last appearance at AIW before starting with WWE was not something we booked. Uh, he was there. I think it's obviously at this point, it's never been denied. It's very well known. He and uh, Britt Baker are in a relationship. Britt was still wrestling for us and we had a, she had been in a feud with Swaggle, with Hornswoggle and it culminated at an absolution in a lumberjack match in a lumberjack like hardcore match so they had weapons that they used so all the, the lumberjacks are on the outside and everything kind of breaks down at one point and guy rolls into the ring and it's Laredo Kid. It's got, you know, a guy rolls into the ring and Laredo Kid rolls in and he sets up. And I think he even grabbed it, that there was like a boot that had thumbtacks or something on the bottom of it. And he lines up 
Like he's going to help Swaggle and he's going to kick. Um, he's going to kick Britain right in the face with it. And all of a sudden he turns and kicks Swaggle. Laredo Kid pulls the mask off and it's Adam Cole, who was not <laughs> on the show at all, wasn't in another match, you know, wasn't supposed to be in town. He was legitimately there just to be there for Britt's match. He didn't have anything else going on. He'd come to town. And it was 100% their idea. Hmm. Like he was like, hey, would it be like he approached us and asked us if he could do it type of thing. <laughs> he was like, would it be okay if we did this in the match? And we were like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, us. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I know you were just on big ma- national television, but nah, be in the audience. You're fine there. <laughs> yeah. So and it was, I mean, he, I think he did a couple more appearances independently and, and then. At that point, I think it was known that he had signed. So, I mean, he started with WWE not long after that. But I just thought that was such a cool moment and completely unexpected moment for anybody in the building. Nice. Next person on the list here that you've already uh, brought up, Um, she wrestled for you guys as Athena. Folks uh, can see her now in WWE as Ember Moon. What are your thoughts? Uh, Another one that I'm not surprised in the least that she's where she's at. Uh, was incredibly talented even back then. It was really exciting to watch. Um, she originally, we had a lot of people when we were running the Girls' Night Out shows. She had just started to get a buzz independently. But she was out of Texas, and flights from Texas to Cleveland are incredibly expensive. Um, so it was a situation, even before crowdfunding, and like that's a big thing on the indies now is support a match or support a wrestler and you you kind of donate towards getting a wrestler there uh is we said listen we love it but we can't afford the flight and we had a lot of fans literally donate towards getting a flight to get her to, to cleveland for one of our shows nice um and just immensely talented she always was she's only gotten better since she's been there uh she was one of those ones like i said that made a, a run in one of the jayla tournaments i so the first time we were ever on iPay-per-view that now is just kind of streaming is what it's known as. <laughs> but at the time, it was, it was internet pay-per-view. It was iPay-per-view. And uh, we had a, it was actually one of the women's shows. And we had a ladder match to determine the, the number one contender for the women's title. And we had qualifying matches throughout the night. And I remember John telling me, he said, uh, yeah, Athena, Athena's going to win her match because I want to see her hit that finisher off the ladder. What's his whole thing? <laughs> He's like, I want to see that moment. Where, and sure enough, obviously she did in that, that main event. Nice. Um, but yeah, she is she's incredibly talented. Uh, has come a long way, but I mean, was, was incredibly athletic, very talented even back then. Yes. Next person on the list blew my mind when I first saw him in Ring of Honor. I didn't expect much. He was in a tag team, I believe, with Shane Taylor. And I wasn't expecting much until he did uh, what was popular in Ring of Honor at the time, where it seemed like everybody did the flip over the top rope. But he was well in the 300-pound range. Keith Lee. Keith Lee, uh, we only had once. Hmm. And he was actually handpicked and selected so i mentioned earlier uh eric of the viking raiders ray Rowe. uh ray was doing his last independent appearance before going to wwe after they had been signed 
Um, and he wanted it to be with us. We've done a few of those. We had not too long before that, we had had Gargano's last independent match. Uh, and it was a massive success. Uh, and Ray wanted to have that moment in his hometown. Ray's the, a Cleveland guy. Uh, wanted to have that moment in his hometown. Kind of bring it full circle. A.W. was was a promotion very early in his career. He had gotten to know Keith Lee very well uh, when he moved to Texas. He had spent a few years living down there. He had gotten into the independent scene there. And then that's when he took off into Ring of Honor. And obviously got to know Keith a whole lot better when they both got involved in Ring of Honor. So Keith was his hand-picked opponent for his last independent day. He said, nice. I want it to be, you know, I want it to be at home. I want it to be in Cleveland, and I, I'd really like it to be Keith Lee. So we had never used him before. He said, All right, we brought him in. Um, just great dude. He was nicest guy in the world. Uh, and I, you can't help but be impressed. I mean, you talk about the flip, just anything he does in the ring is impressive. Um, and just massively, massively talented. Uh, we had actually, we wanted to bring him back again. I think that feelers had been sent out and, and for some reason at that point, uh, he wasn't able to take the booking either. He had a, I think he had a conflict where he was somewhere else. He wouldn't be able to make it into town. Oh man. Uh, and then, and then not long after that got signed. I mean, he was, that's how, how impressive he was when we had him is we were like, we've got to bring this guy back, you know? Okay, another one on the list here. In my opinion, probably one of the greatest bad guys in wrestling today, MJF. Uh, MJF is, he's one of the few guys, and exactly what you talked about, he's one of the few guys that keeps that character going all the time. Uh, it was very rare. I actually had a hard time doing when he would sit in on commentary with me because he was just so, so... Uh, insulting at all times on commentary and uh, I didn't want to draw from the match but I was like I don't want to turn it into an argument with him I'm trying to take shots back and forth you know mm -hmm. and uh, just again is with so many other guys incredibly talented MJF his first match in AIW and I think he's told this story a few times his first match in AIW was uh, at a bar show. So occasionally we would do bar shows where a bar would pay us to come out. And it's a smaller building, smaller show. So it's a, you know, you don't have as many big names on it. It was smaller payroll. And a lot of times we'd use it as a chance for guys that maybe some of our students have met out on the road. Uh, I talked earlier about uh, our head trainer at our training center. And, and he had been out on the road. He had been down south a little bit. He had been, and MJF is a product of Create a Pro Wrestling School out in the East Coast there out in New York. Uh, Create a Pro was, was started by Pat Buck, who is currently a, at the training center, a coach at the training center and a producer, I believe, for WWE, uh, and Brian Myers, who was Kurt Hawkins in WWE. Mm -hmm. uh, we had used Brian when he went on the Indies. We brought him in quite a bit. And he, you know, obviously vouched for his students. He had gone back to WWE already. Um, 
but our guys that had met MJF on the road and had done shows with him, you got to bring this guy, you got to bring this guy. And we're like, ah. anytime we're told by everyone, and it's a guy that you see in all these indies, you know, he's popping up. Listen, we still want to try to be unique to an extent. Um, so we don't want to bring the guy in that you can see in any show in the country. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he finally got a shot on a bar show. Well, the same night of that bar show, he had been contacted. He was supposed to do extra work for WWE. Hmm. He was supposed to go, and I don't remember what show it would have been, but he was supposed to go do extra work. I think the next night he would have had to have been in town. Um, or it might have been a Friday night. It might have been a SmackDown. He was going to be brought in for that. And he turned down the extra work because oh. he had been crying. He had, he had wanted to get in, get his foot in the door in AIW. So for the chance to come work a bar show, he turned down work for WWE. Uh, and in the end, it turned out pretty good for him, I'd say. <laughs> so, yeah. He's, he's doing okay for himself. Yeah, I mean, I, especially for that uh, time that he broke Bret Hart in the ring when Bret Hart presented the AEW mm-hmm. Championship. Uh, I, he's I, I, for someone that I initially thought was a Miz clone. Uh, he has blown my mind. He's he's yeah. he's amazing, and I'm I'm sure he'd probably call me an asshole or something. <laughs> <laughs> Next one on the list here. He wrestled for you guys, if my research is correct, uh, under the name Fire Ant, uh, Orange Cassidy. Or he actually, yes, he wrestled for us as one of the ants. Um, probably one of the worst kept secrets in wrestling. The ants frequently times also wrestled under other gimmicks on the same shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did do one appearance for us as Orange Cassidy, which was so obscure that even John Thorne was surprised to find that out recently. <laughs> and as he was taking off in AEW, he said, I didn't realize he worked it. And I said, yeah, it was, uh, it was in the gauntlet for the gold, which is like our Royal rumble essentially. But the, the gimmick, he had just started using the name and the gimmick was nowhere near what it is today. Oh, uh, it, it was almost more of just a generic surfer type gimmick at the time. Um, in my stance on a, on Orange Cassidy now, I absolutely love it. I love the gimmick. I love everything about it. Uh, the same is with the people that, that slam intergender wrestling. Well, you know, he, he makes an embarrassment of wrestling. A, he is way more talented than you realize in the ring. B, what's the difference between going to the movies and seeing a comedy or an action movie? There is absolutely a place for comedy and professional wrestling. And he is one of the best at it. I mean, I've never seen a guy get over on a national stage uh, by doing less. Yeah. Incredibly, incredibly talented. Yeah, I know when AEW first started, he was the big question mark. I mean, I'd seen videos of his, uh, of some of his indie work. Like he did a match with Gentleman Jervis, which I thought was absolutely hilarious, where Jervis at one point rocked him to sleep and mm-hmm. tried to get the audience yeah. to be quiet to pin him. Um, but the big question I had was, would he be able to pull that off every week? And obviously he has. Did you question that when AEW hired him? Based on the character, how how it was presented on the indies, did you think it was going to get over as big as it did? No, because I had 
I mean, to get over as big as it did, I think I didn't think he was going to have the opportunity to. Hmm. I did not think they would run with him on a national stage the way they did. Uh, so all the credit in the world to AEW for for running with that. Yeah, uh, there was no way the world I anticipated that, that was going to happen. You know, I thought he'd just be kind of in the background and kind of be a manager. Um, but when you let him do it, because he had had those matches um, on the independent scene where you saw it, where you realized, oh, you know, it's pushed to a point and then all of a sudden he would just start going. And he is capable of being incredibly talented in the ring, you know? When he tries. He's <laughs> great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, when if you were to just say, you know, if you were to say, here's an empty arena, prove to me you can wrestle, he can go with just about anybody out there. He doesn't have to. To me, that makes him one of the smartest guys in professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, compared to like Nick Gage, he's probably going to have a lot longer career. <laughs> you know? All right, a couple more names here. Um, this name is one we haven't heard from in a while. Um, she made some big, big, uh, big waves in Impact Wrestling, but left there on some uncertain terms. Uh, she does have pedigree as well. Tessa Blanchard. Uh, yeah, it was pretty early, I think, for her that we brought her in. She was part of when we had a, a very loaded women's division. Um, and I, for various reasons, missed quite a few of the women's shows. So I think I only, I only say once or twice, you know, I was on a show with her. Uh, and I, you know, obviously the stories are out there. People talk about this or that about who she is or what she's like. I never had a problem with her. Um, never had any issues. I think probably it was early in her career. Uh, like I said, so you knew the name and she came from a, a couple big names between her father and her, her stepfather. Um, but yeah, I mean, another one that she showed talent. She was, she was still developing. She was still very early when we had her in AIW never had a, a major issue or anything with her though. Gotcha. And I'm hoping for the best for her. I mean, if, if rumors are true, we may possibly expect her in AEW at some point. And, you know, it, when it comes to the rumors as they were about her, I think people can change. I don't think she's done anything that, you know, given time and effort that, you know, she couldn't make amends for you, if you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah. All right. A couple more names here. Um, this, this person baffles my mind that she is not working for either WWE or AEW because she's good in the ring. She could be a good guy, a bad guy. She's great on the mic. She can also do commentary as well. Veda Scott. Veda's great. Veda um, really was super, I keep saying it about a lot of women, was super early in her career when she started for us. Uh, she grew a ton uh, over the years that she worked for us. Um, but yeah, no, she is, she's great. I mean, all the credit in the world, she was going through law school at the same time she was pursuing wrestling mm -hmm. uh, when she started with us, which I couldn't imagine. Each one by itself is an incredible grind. Um, Veda's great, though. I, I've always enjoyed anytime I see her. She's always fun. Um she had an incredible feud over the tag team titles. We talked about intergender earlier. 
some of the stuff that she did, she uh, was involved in a feud with Batiri, uh, who, had, who had gotten a pretty good name in Shakara. And the Batiri would toss her around like nothing. I mean, she, she did a ton, including uh, curb stopping her into a baby, like a kiddie pool filled with hamburgers, which Veda was a very outspoken vegetarian at the time. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, for her, all the props in the world for her to even agree to do that. Uh, but yeah, no, she's another one that, you know, I, like you, I'm surprised. I think she's got a lot of different skill set. Like, she is a very good commentator. She could be very good as an interviewer. She can wrestle. She can manage. Uh, she definitely brings a lot to the table. Um, but, you know, Vita's great. I, I love any time we have her in. I've always enjoyed it. I think it's been a couple of years. Uh, she was on one of our Hell on Earth shows. And, in fact, that show, I barely got to talk to her because we, uh, I was running from my son, recording my son's basketball game to do <laughs> commentary for the last couple of matches on the show. Oh, so man. I literally blew past her in the hallway asking where the commentary was. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, last names here. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Yeah, so I talked about, obviously, they were part of that Absolution 10 uh, main event. They did, I think it was, I think it was only one appearance before that. So they had wrestled a match with, with Two Infinity and Beyond. Um, they are, again, they're great. They're super talented. They, at the time, they had a little bit of a reputation over how they had exited TNA, uh, but they were nothing but awesome when we had them. You know, they agreed to come back and be part of that angle for the, the Absolution 10 main event. Uh, and they, they worked their butts off at both shows. Their match with Two Infinity Beyond was great. Um, and guys that, again, incredibly talented, they can go. They also know when they don't necessarily have to do as much. Uh, which sounds where most people, there's, I know there's a lot of people that wouldn't agree with me about them about that. Uh, but they, I think there was a counter at one point on, at the time they were, they were still emulating DX in a lot of ways. And they were doing the, the suck it. And they literally just kept doing it in the master food getting to be on. And it actually became, even though it was just like a taunt, it became an actual part of the Absolution 10 main events. Oh, with three, you know, getting so angry at them over it. So, yeah, no, they, uh, the couple times we've had them, you know, I got to talk to them quite a bit before the show. And, and they were just, they were just great guys. They were normal guys, there was nothing, you know, they had a bit of a reputation as they could be full of themselves or anything, but they, absolutely not come across that way when we had them at AIW. Yeah, uh, no, and I would think with their run in TNA, with their run in TNA, I would think that, you know, based on what was happening in that company at that time, that might have been a badge of honor. <laughs> I Listen, and they did to an extent, at least publicly, wear it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, yeah, they, like I said, they only did a couple of appearances for us. They were they were fantastic in those couple of appearances. They worked their butts off. And I mean, really, the team AIW and, and dudes on TV, with the exception of Samoa Joe, everybody else in that match had 
they had a reason to care about AIW. They had spent a long time, even most of the dudes on TV had spent a long time. The Bucks were were thrown in as representatives of Team AIW, even though they had only wrestled one. So it would have been really easy for them to kind of laugh it off or not. And they didn't. I mean, they went out in that main event, they busted their butts, and they made sure that there was a great match. Nice. Did you get cut off again? No, no, no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I just kind of trailed on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of trailed. They were. Yeah. yeah, They busted their butts in that one. No, they were great. Okay. Last question here. As we record this, we are two days away from AEW Rampage on TNT, where if the rumors are correct, we may see CM Punk return. What are your thoughts on if that is true? And as someone that works for an independent pro wrestling company, are you chomping at the bit, waiting for that to happen? Because that could potentially uh, raise raise awareness to wrestling overall. Um, I don't know how I feel on if it's it, all signs point to it being true at this point. Uh, from everything I've heard, they're playing it really close, close to the vest. If it is true, because even guys within the company have said, listen, we, we hear the same rumors, but we don't know one way or another. <laughs> um, they've certainly laid the groundwork for it to be, you know, and it makes sense with it being in Chicago. Uh, I think it'll be a massive moment. I don't know that it'll do a ton for wrestling as a whole. I don't think there's going to be a lot of eyes that watch when he was in WWE that aren't already watching AEW. Fair enough. I mean, I think he brings a ton to the table for them. I think there's going to be some great matches if he does come and if he, you know, he wants to do it. But I don't know that it's going to draw new eyes or a, or a lot of new eyes to the product. I think the guys that are going to be really excited about it are already watching that product quite a bit. Is that going to be the same uh, response for Brian Danielson? I think so. But the one caveat to that is... It's been quite a few years since Punk was on WWE TV, and in the grand scheme, his run was not that long, whereas Danielson had a a very extensive, he's been in WWE for quite some time now, and it wasn't that long ago that he was on TV. Uh, So there's a potential that it could catch a few more eyes. And I think what he brings to the table that, that some of the, other WWE guys is he arguably in terms of in mass performance is still in his prime. Oh, yeah. uh, whereas most of the guys that have made the jump, now don't get me wrong, Matt Hardy still puts on great matches. Uh, Christian still puts on great matches, still capable of doing great things. No one's going to say that they are in their prime physical shape. Yeah, And I think in the case of Danielson, as long as his health holds up, he is just as capable of putting on an incredible match now as he was, you know, even five years ago. Yeah. And being, 
being able to have the WWE shackles lifted because um, David Bixon's band had a quote from uh, Brian Danielson that um, I guess the way he figured out how to work the WWE method was to treat it as if it was a satire of pro wrestling. You know, um, so being able to see Brian Danielson face off, like I guess word is like he really wants to face off against Zack Sabre Jr., another person who that had, had some matches at AIW. So, uh, you know, uh, overall, I'm excited and I've been excited that you've uh, taken some time out of your day to appear on our show. Absolutely. It was a blast. Thank you for, for having me. No worries. Uh, taking the time to, to interview me. We had quite a few and i'm sure you'll edit most of it out or <laughs> around it we've had what people may not realize quite a few technical difficulties throughout this um my phone decided i don't like the wi-fi at this point so we dropped a few times up. no one's going to be the wiser though listening to it the yeah magic of- the magic of editing and the magic of having previous episodes that sound much worse this will sound much better <laughs> <laughs> So where can people watch AIW, whether that's in person in Ohio or if you're anywhere else in the world, where can we catch AIW? Sure, absolutely. The Obviously, the easiest way is, again, being in Ohio. Uh, we have three different locations over the next couple months. Uh, we have our home at the Odeon in downtown Cleveland, down in the flats. It is an incredible atmosphere if you can be there live. Uh, it is a concert club. And it's a blast. The atmosphere is insane. So we will be there on uh, August 27th here in a couple weeks for Touch of Evil featuring Danhausen, uh, who is is got a huge following these days and is massively popular even outside of independent wrestling. He's a guy that's crossed over, uh, but he's a guy who really developed that character a lot of it in AIW. Hmm. Uh, so- we're thrilled to have him coming back. He hasn't been around in a while. So uh, Touch of Evil with Danhausen and actually Terry Runnels will be there for a meet and greet. Nice. Uh, that'll, that'll be at the Odeon. And then September 10th, we were at the Odeon for sunny days. Um, <laughs> Not that kind of probably, sunny days. <laughs> well, you could probably guess who the meet and greet is for that show. Uh, Tammy Sitch will be there uh, for a meet and greet. Cool. Uh, she had, had previously appeared there for AIW. Uh, so we're excited about that. I believe we just recently announced, uh, I believe it was Anthony Green for that show, who recently was one of the NXT releases. A uh, chance for him to make his AIW debut. We're excited about that. So those two are at the Odeon. We will be actually out back of a bar in Parma, Ohio for WrestleRager on August 28th. So if you're coming into town or touch of evil, make sure to try to get tickets for Wrestle Rager as well. Wrestle Rager is taking on a life of its own. It is an incredibly unique show. Uh, we're moving. It's a different location. The chairs, the bar we used to hold it at is no longer an option. It's no longer open, but uh, it is an incredibly unique day. And uh, it literally is something that, that many of our loyal fans have made kind of a, a focal point of their calendar to make sure they're there. Nice. Uh, and then October 2nd, we will be in Akron, Ohio, making our return there. We're usually in Akron a couple times a year. And that night, we actually don't even have a, a show name, I believe, announced for it yet, but it will feature the return to AIW of Matt Cardona, better known to many as Zack Ryder. Woo, uh, woo, woo. 
<laughs> he recently made an appearance in uh, in AIW along with Brian Myers and Swaggle and Smart Mark Sterling, the whole uh, major bros wrestling network crew. Uh, it was incredible. He, he worked his butt off for us and he will be coming back on October 2nd. We just announced that recently. Um, if you're not in Ohio though, not all of these shows will be available live. However, they will all be available at some point or another on independentwrestling.tv. It is a streaming service that carries AIW as well as a number of other independent wrestling promotions. So if you're looking to get into independent wrestling, it's an incredible starting point. Uh, independent wrestling.tv is a streaming service like many other. Uh, use promo code absolute. So we'll get credit for the fact that you signed up, but many of our shows will stream live and there are constantly shows streaming live on the network. And there's also a library of shows. There are, well, not quite every show in AMW history, a large number of them uh, appear on independentwrestling.tv. And that you can watch from anywhere in the world. The app, is available on just about any service you can think of. I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my Amazon Smart TV. Uh, I know John's got it on his Roku TV. So just about anything you can think of, you can find independent wrestling TV or just IWTV. Uh, but it is definitely a, a fantastic investment if you're thinking about trying to find something to watch in independent wrestling. And like I said, you can watch the past library of AIW. You can watch shows live. And it's just a great time. We, I love uh, the interaction to get when people watch them live. They're able to, to live tweet about it and to kind of see some of the things, we get instant feedback on those shows. Yeah. And there is nothing like seeing professional wrestling live. Like uh, the last big event I went to before the pandemic hit was uh, NXT TakeOver Portland. Um, mm -hmm. You know, speaking of some of the names that we saw here, and I cannot wait to go again. So thank you for being on the show. Once again, folks, AIW Wrestling, you can uh, check out their website. We'll have uh, uh, information on what Matt uh, told us here in our show description uh, as well and uh, on our social media pages. So thank you for being on the show thank you all for listening every wednesday and saturday in this podcast space we're going to have something to entertain your ear holes we thank you all for listening we bid you adieu subscribe to friends talking nerdy on itunes the google play music store as well as spotify remember to support friends talking nerdy on patreon goodbye darling <laughs>